Okay, welcome to the workshop of the teen years. All of you. No, I'm sorry. the important people are here, so this is good. Um, my name is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater in the mod. Hola, cómo está? Uh, and before we begin, let's. If everyone here could please turn off your cell phones, electric toothbrushes, toasters, and microwaves before we begin. Okay, this workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading. Two speakers, ask-a-basket questions and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please, if you can, specify who the question is for. Hopefully it's someone that's seated up here. Um, the reading uh, today is from the four today on page 29, and this could be a problem. I have no readers. Are those good cheaters? Oh, fantastic. And colorful. Oh, this is fabulous. Page 29, uh, from January 29th. To be nobody but myself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make me everybody else, means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting, E.E. E. Cummings. In a way, I'm getting to know myself. I no longer have to borrow from other people a way of thinking, looking, or being. I'm accepted for what I am, and in turn, I can accept myself. I can be spontaneous. I can reach out and be close to others. Even when I'm alone, I'm in touch with myself. I am not lonely. To have the courage to be me, to accept myself without glossing over the truth. Those are the goals towards which this program is directing me. For today, in accepting myself as I am, I accept God's will for me today. Only through self-acceptance am I able to change. That's a new addition to the for today. Thank you. Okay, um, I am going to share for 20 to 25 minutes, um, and Rose is going to be the timer. At um, 20, can you throw up the five? Okay, great. And then, um, and then there's going to be 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket, and if there's not enough questions from the Ask It Basket, then um, the good news is we get a second chance to talk, according to this, that says we can say what we really meant to say or what we left out. So that must take care of the problem of the pitch that we're going to give, the pitch we gave, and then the pitch we thought we should have given. And then uh, there'll be open sharing after that. Okay. Let me get on. Okay. I already said I'm Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. That's my favorite part is when you say hi back. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, uh, I'm from Sacramento, and I've been coming to Overeaters Anonymous now for a little over 13 and a half years, so I'm early in my teenhood of uh, recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I have a sponsor. I sponsor. I have a home group. It met this morning at 9 o'clock. It's the Steps and Tradition Study at Sutter Hospital in Sacramento, the best meeting in Region 2. I just need to tell you that. And, uh, and if you don't believe me, you have to come to it and check it out. And then you can tell me why you don't think so. And if your meeting isn't that good, I hope you're doing something to make your meeting that good of a meeting. Um, 
What? You know, oh, I also used to weigh over 225 pounds. And so right now I'm at about a 70 or 75-pound weight loss. I'll know more on July 1st when I weigh myself because I'm, I'm not – God has decided that a scale and I should not have an ongoing relationship, like visitation rights, once a month. And, uh, and that has worked for me because I was the kind of person – uh, who probably, just like you, um, or someone you know, uh, I would. I used to work out twice a day when I was over 225 pounds. I'd work out two hours in the morning before work and an hour after work, and I would weigh myself after I peed and took care of other bodily functions and would spit and have dry hair, you know, never after a shower, before I put anything in my mouth, after the workout, before the workout, just to see how good the workout was was working. And then I'd weigh myself every day to see if it had changed, and sometimes twice a day. And, um, and then I came to OA, and I was still doing a lot of the weighing, and uh, I was, uh, quite frankly, nuts, as some people would like to refer to it as insane. And... Um, it, it, so I was asked to pray about it, and so now it's once a month, and it's been that way for about 11, 12 years now, and it's working for me. And there's some months that, um, and I, wait, I don't have a scale in my home, so I have to go to the gym. I don't know why I'm talking about the scale all of a sudden, but I am. And so I go to the gym on the first, and if the first happens to fall on a Saturday or Sunday, I can't weigh myself, so I have to wait till the next month. I like that rule. And um, it takes all of the quibble out of it, the discussion, the debate. There's just one day where I do it. And, uh, and what that information is, is information. It's not a moral judgment. It's not a value. Um, it's, I already know what's going on because my clothes either fit or they don't fit. And uh, I'm either filled with resentment or I'm not. I already know what something's going on. The scale for me just confirms it. it it's a, and it's a good reality and it's a good way to be grateful. For me, I have to be grateful, and I find I use these things to be grateful. I ate just like you a lot uh, from the time I got up. I stole food. I ate it frozen. I ate it too hot, burnt my mouth, burnt my lips, burnt my tongue. Um, I lied to you about what I ate. I um, would eat. I would eat in the bathroom at work. Isn't that just lovely and sanitary? So I did all of those things. And I came to OA uh, on October 6, 1995, to my very first meeting after a year in therapy, and which the therapist <laughs> waited a year to tell me about a skinny-ass little runt. And um, he gave me the books of OA, and he gave them to me upside down with the binding away from me, like he was afraid. Okay, so I had some anger issues. And um, I didn't look at them until I got home, and, and I looked at him, and I called him a number of names. And I didn't read them until I, uh, I worked for the county at the time, and, and actually the county donated a couple days of my work um, for me to read those books behind a locked door in my office, in which I cried. I cried the entire time because somebody had written about my life, and they didn't tell me they were watching me. I identified throughout the brown book with all the stories, and I started reading the, the steps, and I was going, oh, my goodness. Went to my first meeting and binged right afterwards, badly. And then the next day, there's, a, there's a, a story about it, but things changed. Things changed. And um, 
the way it was in the beginning was I was going to ten, seven to ten meetings a week. I had a little canvas bag. It had every piece of literature in it because I was going to have it memorized. I was going to learn it. And if you had a question, I was going to have the answer because, you see, I was going to graduate. I was going to get an A and I was going to graduate. Magna cum laude in OA. And I had to run it for a while first because you all weren't doing it especially effectively. And... Um, and it worked. I mean, it, you know what? I don't care how you do it. If it works, keep doing it. Seven to ten meetings a week. And I was uh, suggested that I get into service real quick, which I didn't want to, but I did. And, of course, I took to it right away because it meant I was going to be in, the char in charge until my sponsor explained to me that there's no um, people in charge in OA. And I thought that was silly and um, that that's something that could change and be improved good for me that, and good for you that my ideas don't have impact in a way. And, uh, and I learned how to become a fellow among fellows. So what I did in the first two or three years was a lot of meetings, meeting with my sponsor, working the steps, getting sponsees, working with sponsees, being of service, and having a plan of eating, and going, 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 and hiding in the meetings, which isn't a bad thing until it becomes too much of a good thing, which is just like what food was. And the meetings uh, protected me from the gifts of living. The gifts of living. It was safe in here. You were my family. You were my friends. And um, I want, you know, I was hungry for a bigger life. Very hungry for a bigger life. And I was abstinent, and I had lost weight, and I wanted to be, I wanted to date, and I wanted to be in a relationship, and I, I want, I want, I want. And it was suggested to me that I might want to start believing in, I'll, I know I'll get when I, what I need when I need it. And so, in fact, I did. I uh, got to run into a number of professional challenges, uh, which apparently needed to happen for my big shotism. And uh, I got to live through all of them, from being accused of misconduct on the job and at the time I was in a peace officer classification at work, which was cleared, to uh, finding a place to land within government, and that worked out, and to an, a place where I am now that all of my character defects got to come with me, and some of them have gotten smaller, and some of them got fed a little bit in this job, and and now I'm, I'm in this place of peace. And for the past three months, it's quite amazing to be in this place of peace. And so what I want to, in talking about the topic, you know, we, when we pitch, we're asked to speak about what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I kind of want to shift it forward to what it was like in the beginning to what it's like now. And how is being 13 and a half years abstinent in recovery different than at two when I knew everything? You know, because at two years after I was on fire, my hair was on fire, my butt was on fire with recovery, and I just had every, I knew what the answers were. And, um, and I was willing to tell you whether you asked for them or not. And, uh, and then at seven years, um, I, you know, I got my, my butt handed to me uh, emotionally, just handed to me. And I was going to five, six meetings a week, six sponsees, full-time job. Um, I was doing service above the meeting level. And um, 
I was still hiding in my life was in these rooms and in service and I had and every time I tried to step out of the what I view as stepping out of OA into the world I was getting smacked and I, it was hard and I'm this isn't fair I'm abstinent and I'm working the steps and I've got a higher power and um, and I you know got a sponsor sponsor that would just, you know, basically say, well, what's God want for you to do? I'm here to bear witness, which just, you know, and what's your, what's God want for you? Have you been in prayer? Have you been in meditation? And at seven and eight years, you know, that really, really, isn't there a magic, something I'm missing? What page didn't I read in the book? Why is this challenging for me? Barbara, what are you grateful for right now? That's what always would come back to me. What are you grateful for? Because what I wasn't getting enough, and um, I didn't want to go back to where I was, and I wanted that newness. I wanted that people call it a pink cloud. I wanted uh, contentment with a zest for living, you know. And then I became ten, and I got real, real self-sufficient in a way. You know, I would have regular meetings at my home uh, involving a, a small group of people, me, myself, and I, and the evil twin inside me, and um, God would occasionally um, be invited, and I would run through the character defects of the day and analyze them, find my part, just discern who I needed to make amends to or what the issues were, and then go about my day the next day, take care of business, and go. But did you notice what was missing in that little meeting that was happening in my house at night? I wasn't talking to a sponsor. I wasn't necessarily calling another gal in a way to talk about. I wasn't showing the vulnerability that I had shown for so many years to other women. And, um, hey, Dan. Um, so it's kind of hard thinking you know all the answers and not feeling really, really, really good. Still being abstinent. Is this all there is? Hmm. And uh, I got to reflect. I was thinking this morning about pitching today, and uh, I got to think of this fellow who's sharing either this time period or the next one. His name is Terrell, and Terrell irritates the heck out of me with his honesty. You can tell him I said so. Um, not so much now, but he used to say, if you're under 10 years, you're still a baby. Well, you know, when you're two and you hear that, really? You're talking to me? I'm not there. i got two years. And then when he says it again, you're seven or eight, you're just going, yeah, I've been doing, I've been coming back. No, 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 no. And then when you hit 13, you realize, yeah, 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 he is right. I have to tell him he was right. Because the first 10 years were about learning practicing, shifting, making changes, getting honest, being honest. And the way it is now, um, everything that I've had to do for the past 13 years, I have to do today, plus some more. Because um, if I'm resting on my laurels of 13 years of absence and weight loss is like... Um, trying to smell good with yesterday's bath. 
it just isn't going to work. It's just not going to work. And so what I've been hungry for for the past couple years is this faith business. Is this uh, comfort with a higher power. More comfort. Um, I'm sad that there's no new magic phrase for me to learn. Uh, And at the same time, it's okay. I don't know if this makes sense to you. My food has changed over time. Uh, that's something folks like to hear about. I will tell you that in the past year and a half, I've lost another 15 pounds. And that was because I finally decided to look at the phrase, the word, which I thought was a swear word, um, moderation. And because um, I wasn't eating sugar and I wasn't eating flour and I was just Miss Goody, Goody Food Plan Girl. And But why was I still, you know at the way I was at. And so every morning the phrase moderation would come to me quietly. That's quiet little still voice that, you know, we just want to go. It's like the fly at the ear, just the mosquito, get it away. So finally I took a look at it and I decided to take an action. And, and moderation looked like starvation to me. I don't know if anyone else has that experience. You know, they talk about, you know, a piece of meat should be the palm of your hand. Really, I'll die if that's all I eat. So I tried it and to prove them that I would come close to death, and um, it didn't happen. Uh, but what did happen was that I, uh, my contempt prior to investigation uh, went by the wayside. And I started to see that it was okay to do things differently. Because I'm the kind of person that, that lives right on the edge of life. Actually, I live right on the edge of a rut. <laughs> and I'll peek up out of my rut and get on the edge of it. And sometimes I'll step out of it and try new things. But oftentimes I'll just go right back into my rut. It's just, it's been working. Let's not change anything. But the thing is that life happens. And I got to hear last year a fellow from San Francisco talk about the convention. He says, I got this bigger life, and I needed a bigger God to go with it. And so that's what my path has been, um, because I know that if I am not seeking a fit spiritual condition, you know, my choices are I'm either working my way away from my very last compulsive bite, or I'm working towards my next compulsive bite. It's, it's, those are the only two choices that I have. And for me, I prefer to be working my way away from my last compulsive bite. And I remember my last compulsive overeating binge, and it was at a birthday party for a one-year-old with two picnic tables of food. So I just, just end to end, and I just kept eating. You would have thought I was in the Coney Island hot dog eating contest, only it was, you know, picnic table food. And um, I'll, I'll not forget that last compulsive fight to keep that memory green. So now what I'm doing at 13 years is I'm fighting defiance and rebelliousness along with acceptance and surrender. And um, and it's been kind of fun uh, and okay and challenging all at the same time. Uh, there's some days where I think I've arrived, but really 
I haven't arrived. If I start to think that way, that means I've already started departing from a way. The minute I think I've arrived, the minute I think there's not a new thing for me to hear, then that means I'm starting to walk out the door. Because as I've learned from the people in OA who've done the research for me, the next binge, the next compulsive bite, or losing my absence doesn't start with what I'm eating. It starts with the secret, the feeling, um, the isolation. And so I have to keep paying attention to these things. So what I'm doing now is um, doing something I swore just I would never do. And it's I'm seeking a more uh, fit spiritual condition. And I have no idea how to do that, except that when something appears in front of me, I'm supposed to ask about it. That's all I know. I have to force myself to call my sponsor more frequently. I'll, I'll check in and, and, you know, checking in. When my sponsees check in with me, I get a little irritated with them because they're not telling me anything about their check And just calling to check in, what does that mean? So if I'm asking sponsees to be a little bit more involved with their sponsor, maybe I should. Because I can't rest on those laurels. And so what has been coming to me of late is this phrase called mindfulness, or this word, mindfulness. And can I be mindful in my life? And I recently had to make a a fairly big decision professionally about um, whether or not to seek a new position. And I didn't want to because where I was, I had the possibility of being a big shot. And uh, at the same time, uh, the other position would offer me an opportunity to grow. Hmm. Big shot or grow? Well, one involves change and one doesn't. Uh, So I I didn't know what the answer was. Well, I knew what my first answer was, and it was to stay. So I rarely listen to the first answer anymore in my life on big decisions. And so I started practicing this mindfulness, and I'll just share with you very quickly that meditation for me can take place in a lot of different places. And I had been neglecting my front yard for a couple of years. I have a little courtyard area in the front. Tall grasses had grown, some weeds had kind of started to take over. And um, I said, well, I need, it's bothering me. I need to pay attention. So I got the stool, and I got the gloves. And I would sit, and I would put the timer on for an hour. And I sat, and I would mindfully pull weeds and grass. Not the good stuff, but I had to be very selective. Because what I wanted to do was just take the weed whacker, whack it all down, put Roundup on it, and start over. But instead, I would sit for an hour mindfully. And there's amazing things that happen with the simplicity of just sitting still and doing that. And, and the gift was I got new questions to ask. I didn't get answers. I got new questions to ask myself about what was going on in my work and with me and what, was, what were my motivations, questions I would never have thought to write down unless I had sat still. And I did that for four nights in a row. Sat on my stool. I have a, my front yard is looking extremely good right now. I just got to tell you, but um, that someone's paycheck that's going away. I <laughs> just fell. Um, and so this is an example of one of the things that I'm learning about mindfulness and showing up. Um, I had a bad habit of listening to sponsees on the telephone and uh, also being on the computer at the same time. 
and uh, I wasn't being a very good sponsor at the time. And I'm reading, it was reading this book about mindfulness, and, and I said, hmm, singleness of purpose, focusing on the person in front of you, uh, and diverted attention doesn't, you don't bring your whole self. So I said, well, I think that that needs to change. And again, it's not something that would come to me otherwise. The other thing that's come for me is, what is faith for me? There's faith that I'll be taken care of every day. There's faith that um, I've been given the gift of abstinence each day. It's my job to accept it and hold it with grace. But what I, I think in, in, in understanding faith, I've come to understand it is the period of time that exists between the asking and the answer. And that's where faith lies for me. It's not in getting the answer. It's where I sit on that stool out in the yard or when it's I, I'm sitting in the rocking chair. And sometimes it's when I'm sitting in a meeting. And rather than texting a colleague about what a buffoon so-and-so is being or how come we're sitting here doing this, blah, 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 I'm sitting there being mindful. And the, answer, the faith that I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do. I think for me, right now, at 13 and a half, there's nothing new, but there's always something different, if that makes sense. Because I have this zest for living now that uh, I didn't have before. Someone asked me recently, so Barbara, how's your love life? You know, this is a request that I've had of God, is to bring a relationship into my life. And I uh, responded to this person. It's great. It's great. Really. What do you, you know? Who are you dating? What's going on? And I said, Well, nobody. Absolutely. And she said, Well, she looked puzzled. And I said, Because uh, for the first time in my life, I'm learning how to love myself and accept myself. And it sounded corny when it was suggested to me 10 years ago to do that and five years ago to do that. But I don't know why today it's something that feels really good. And I have this zest for living. I have My life is the best life it can be right now. It's full, it's exciting, and challenging each day. And I think for me, uh, there's a couple things in the big book that really speak to me at this time of my recovery. Um, OA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. Can I borrow your readers again, please? Um, I almost forgot mine. Thank you. I also have menopause, hot flashes, and losing eyesight. It's great life. AA is not a plan, uh, OA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life. And the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as they live. We do not and cannot outgrow this plan. That means a lot to me right now at 13 and a half years. It, it tells me the truth. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. And when I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on the problem, the problem increases. If I focus on the answer the answer increases. And the last one is 
truly, for me, the truth today of continuing to go to meetings, three to four meetings a week, um, answering the phone when sponsees call, calling my sponsor, being of service, and uh, having a plan of eating and committing my food every day. Because I need to take, just like I only weigh myself once a month, I have to take the debate out of my food each day. And this is what this means to me. The only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. I'm grateful, I'm abstinent, and I'm a nutball because the monkey may be off my back with abstinence, but i got to tell you, the circus is still in town. Thanks a lot. Okay, now our second speaker is Val from San Pedro, who will speak for a similar amount of time. Hi. Um, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Um, well, let's see what it says here. Oh, yeah. Self-acceptance. You know, uh, let me just say something about self-acceptance. I think you all should have it. I think it would be a great world if everyone else had it, and I encourage you to get it. Uh, I do think that, uh, like with... Um, what was the one I went to? Body image, you know. I think that's a really good thing uh, to have a good body image, and I don't know what it is, and I hope you all have it and feel really good about it. Um, so, you know, the older I get, the behinder I get. I forget. The faster I go, the behinder I get. Anyway, um, I'm really, really glad to be here. Um, my name is Val, and I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Val. And, um, I just want to say that, uh, well, let me ask, are there any other compulsive overeaters in this room besides us two up here? Well, now I feel a lot better, and um, I want to say that, um, you know, if you're in this room, you've been through hell with food, just like I have, and, uh, and I like you for that. It's not really a good reason to like people, but, you know, right away, if I know you're in OA, I like you. And... Um, I spent a lot of my life really disliking people that I thought never had a problem with food. Um, one of my nicknames when I was a kid was Pally the Pig. So I was kind of, you know, my sisters, well, you know, my parents had these other children, and um, they, they tortured me. Well, the older ones tortured me, and then my job was to torture the younger one. And, uh, you know, I was faithful, and I was up to the job. Anyway, um, so... Uh, Pally the Pig always made me cry, and I cried because it was the truth, and I never knew that there was anything I could do about it. And so the important thing was just to kind of try to get on. But I think I was born uh, hungry, and then I was born frustrated, or I, I was soon to be very, very frustrated. The way I remember a lot of my life was just not being able to fulfill, to do this, or what I wanted to get done, or this, or this, and feeling just very, very frustrated. So that's kind of my story. Um, uh, and well, and hungry, you know, frustrated, hungry. They're like married to each other, and uh, um, like compare and despair. Uh, I, I just, um, I never really felt very comfortable. Uh, well, and and then let's see. Before, 
Before OA, there was really only three diets that I did. And the first diet was going to Mexico and losing 20 pounds from dysentery and taking a lot, as long as I could to gain it back before I gained it back. Then there was a falling in love diet where um, I obsessed on a guy and, and then it took about six months for him to become a real person and be okay, just be a regular person. So then there was that was over and then I started gaining the weight again. Uh, and then um, in college I found diet pills and um, that was really my first spiritual experience and um, it was, uh, I became God. And um, I was able to, I graduated with honors, and I like to say I owe it all to this doctor on Imperial Highway that uh, was very, very helpful. Um, well, you know, he gave me my wings. Uh, um, but anyway, or my halo or whatever, whatever. Anyway, so um, after about eight years of that, I, I, uh, I, had a, I had another spiritual experience. And this one was in a church. Well, it was after, after a church meeting. But I remember I heard this guy with a, what he, in those days, this was, you know, uh, the Jesus movement in the 70s, and the, the guy was uh, talking to kids going off to junior college or something. I don't know what he was talking to kids, but I was uh, about 30, or not quite 30, and he said, you know, God is anything that, uh, um, God is just anything that's true. You know, why worry? Let's not, I mean, don't panic about going off to school and losing your faith or something. Just just remember, God is anything that's true. And, uh, you know, put that to the test. If you don't know whether or not it's true, maybe you don't know whether or not it's from God. But uh, this is a good way. And, you know, when he was talking like that, I just kind of felt like, you know, those uh, when they put the charges on old buildings and they demolish them, you know, and then there's that big cloud of dust that comes up. That's kind of how I felt when he said that about God. I thought, you know, really, uh, uh, this was really like my mind was gone or something. It was like a huge shift. So um, anyway, uh, I uh, I quit drinking and using drugs and uh, smoking at that little church that I was at. And um, uh, that was a big, and I joined this, what we were calling then a Christian encounter group. And um, it was like mixing psychology and, and Christianity. And, and, you know, it was, the people were just wonderful. And it was, it turned out, you know, it was, this, it turned out to be a very kind of strict church that was like not into dancing and all kind of funny things and, and the, or divorce or all this stuff. And then everybody in this group was people who had, had done, were still doing and so not, and all the things that they didn't believe in. But, so we were very happy together. And, um, uh, I, I had a very, very positive experience there. And I found the cheapest born-again uh, therapist in the South Bay where I lived. And um, I think I just started to rebuild, you know, my whatever, whoever I am, you know, like my self-acceptance or my self-esteem or my personality because I really felt like I didn't have one. But anyway, so eventually, you know, she started going to Alan on my therapist uh, because she couldn't get rid of me. I mean, I was kind of like like an abalone on her. And then um, she uh, she said, you would love AA. Why don't you go to AA? You'd love these people. So I had four years of sobriety since I had quit drinking in this church. So I went to this AA meeting. And, you know, I, I just loved it. I just loved it. You know, I, I went to only low-bottom meetings where there were a lot of guys that were kind of, you know, drooling and, in you know, some sort of DTs. And, but, you know, I just felt so good there. And I felt like I was just so... Among friends, you know, I just felt great there. And um, eventually, you know, it became clear that I needed to go to OA. So I went to an OA meeting uh, in the 80s sometime, and 
people were sitting around in a circle whining, and no one clapped, and they weren't happy. And I went out. I just walked out and said, this is not like AA. No one's cheering me. And, of course, they have no refreshment table. And uh, so I went out and ate for a year. And then uh, I was in a situation where I knew this woman was in OA, and I was at a meeting after a meeting at, at a coffee shop, and I watched her eat this meal, and I knew she was in OA. And she ate... Uh, you know, it was one of those blop, blop, blop meals where you have like a protein and a green and a something or a potato or something. It was very boring. And um, and she just ate that and I knew it was like 9 o'clock at night and I knew she was done until breakfast. But I knew that no matter what I ordered, I was going to go home and binge all night because I was a star binger and that's just how I, you know, managed and I was a big, big manager. Actually, once I went to that first OA meeting, somebody was talking about that earlier, about how once you go to a meeting, you know, you're done. And, you know, I just started dieting. And I would go to meetings and just listen to what people were eating. And I tried all these diets, you know, the Marie Callender diet, which was because I was a night eater, I would go and get the soup and a grain, take a shower, get in bed, eat the soup and the grain and not eat until the breakfast, stay in bed until, you know. And uh, so, you know, I gained weight on that because I just began eating more during the day. Um, then there was the health food, eat, shop only in health food stores, and there's a lot of calories there. So I gained weight on that diet. And then um, there's the, um, oh, I switched from chocolate to carob. I thought that was a huge sacrifice on my part, but I managed to gain weight on that too. So anyway, I, uh, my my efforts were not successful, but this was where I was at. Um, so finally, um, I'll just skip to where uh, my, my recovery really began, which was uh, in 1989 when um, my marriage collapsed. My marriage collapsed, my uh, business collapsed, and my religion collapsed on me. I mean, of course, you know. You know, I love the bumper stickers. They they used to have these bumper stickers that said, you know, a woman's place is in charge. And, um, you know, I've been going over with God or my higher power, you know, every day uh, my plan for the day and the things I think sh- should get accomplished and the things I thought my higher power should be accomplishing and working on. And, you know, uh, I could go into this, but it was really, it was just, really not working and um, I was devastated and I was angry and um, uh, and I was divorced you know eventually I was divorced and I divorced my business and I and I was so exhausted because I had worked so hard on this small business and you know it was so sad you know I worked so hard and it was all his fault and he was so rotten and you know he just kept getting worse and I just kept getting better and 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 then we were divorced, and he married this other woman like a year from, and I had to foreclose on him to get him to pay me anything, and it was oh man, I was so tired from working so hard. By now I'm going to Al-Anon, you know, and they won't tell me what to do, but you know they give me their lawyers' cards afterwards, and um, so I did get a divorce, and, but you know it was very painful, very very painful, and and I was very angry. So I went to this OA meeting where they said people were and, you know, had a lot of recovery. They were losing weight. Now, at this time, I had lost weight because of my divorce, you know, and uh, also because uh, I was just eating from one food group, you know, with uh, butter and jelly on it. And uh, I, I really didn't think, you know, I was an overeater, but these people were so happy at this meeting. And, I, and they'd lost a lot of weight. I made some very bad jokes about 
illnesses that I, I regret, but uh, uh, because I was very cynical and, and in a bad mood. But anyway, I went to this meeting. I turned myself into the first person who said they were available as a sponsor. She had seven years, no graduate degrees. She had, uh, she was a housewife, and, and she was 80 years old. I didn't even know that at the time. I would never, have, I would never have entered into this thing. Anyway, uh, I called her up, and this was a how meeting. And in those days, you know, how was fairly militant, and they had their food plans and their this and their that. And, and uh, actually, I really needed the structure because, you know, I was used to being in charge. And they were so used to people that, like me that they said, you know, whatever, you know, you think. We, okay, you tell us what you think you should be eating, and then we'll tell you what you should be eating. And we need to get rid of what you think because what you think has not been working. It was quite drastic. And um, I, I was shocked. But um, I said, well, okay, but I, I'm not, I can't read that food plan because it's, they're such small print, reminds me of my divorce papers, and they, I didn't like them, and so I'll just eat what you're eating, but I have to eat out because I can't eat, I can't fix myself anything. So, um, uh, and she was so patient. Oh, God, she was wonderful. Anyway, she took me through the first five steps, and I remember, uh, and I, I was so angry. I was so angry. I lived in, I moved to this apartment, and it was a low-income apartment building with a long privet hedge in the back, and I had had, I had owned a small plant nursery, and um, and it had really ruined my back. But uh, I mean, I had abused my my job. Let me put it that way. I've managed it and owned it and screwed it up and over. Why am I still working so hard? And uh, so my back was bad. But I was so angry. I went and bonsai that whole 30-foot hedge with the clippers because it just felt so good to cut to cut that thing. And and then I was cutting it back so I could grow flowers in front of it. Because my thing was, if I wasn't going to eat, I was going to have beauty. And I was going to have beauty on the table every day. And that would be in the form of a bouquet of what I would grow myself because I knew something about flowers, or I thought I knew anyway. But I wound up learning a lot, you know, beneath this, this little hedge because I made a little border there and grew these uh, flowers that I thought would be good as cut flowers. The management didn't seem to mind at first. Uh, anyway, the compost, uh, that wasn't that popular. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so, um, and I was doing what this woman said, and I, uh, oh God, I was just, I mean, I was a basket case in a nutcase, just like, you know, others have said before. But anyway, I was so angry I stayed abstinent. I was so angry. I was so angry that I said, I don't care if I turn into a bitch, which was happening, and uh, I am not eating. Because when I saw, I was so nice when I was compulsively overeating. My halo, and you know, I, I have witnesses, my halo was so buffed, and, and it was so his fault, and I was, so, I was just so good. And I had to eat a lot to maintain that illusion in my mind, you know, and, and I was you know, gaining a lot of weight. So, um, I really don't think my weight got over 160, but I don't know for sure because, of course, I wasn't weighing because I wasn't into reality. Um, but then when I joined, uh, and, and, and they told me I had to weigh once a month because that was their rule, uh, not mine. Because my rule was, you know, abusing the scale, too. And, and so then uh, about six months in, I went to the doctor. It was the first time I'd ever had health insurance. And uh, uh, they gave me a physical, and then they weighed me. And uh, I don't know. The nurses were just ecstatic. They said, that is the perfect weight for you. <laughs> well... 
you know, my weight, you know, my goal weight was always kind of like, you know, impossibly low. You know, there's there's a friend of mine who always says, you know, her goal weight was birth weight. Uh, and But, you know, I could never reach it, and that was fine with me because then I could always be unhappy and always be, you know, not reaching it, not having arrived, whatever. And uh, so I went home and told my sponsor about this, and, and she said, well, you know, I really think you should take an objective point of view about what's right for your your height and your years and your this and your that because, uh, uh, you know, your ideas haven't always been that great, Val. And, you know, you look fine to me, you know. And uh, so I kind of took that as a, a sort of a standard to kind of go with. And that was a big thing for me to accept someone else's point of view, a stranger, really. I mean, and, of course, I am so complex. And there's so many things about me they didn't know there. And um, so I, and I didn't tell them, which was, there was really not time. So anyway, uh, I'd like to say that about mm, five years later, five years from now, actually, five years in the past, um, I had been, um, well, you know, I'm a nature girl. And uh, I like to sit outside, but I don't like to sit outside. I like to walk. I had dogs, and I like to go outside and run around and, you know, I said I'd never go to a gym and I'd never, you know, work on a machine and I'd never look in mirrors, be in one of those places where people are sweating and they have to put all that stuff down for the sweat, the, the bleach and everything. You know how they are always disinfecting. And no, no. And um, I went to a doctor there at Kaiser. This is where I, I still got my, another one of these visit things where I don't like them. But anyway, I went and, and this little tiny short guy with a buzz cut, you know, he was like, he had gray hair. He looked kind of, and he sounded kind of like Dr. Ruth. You know, he had an accent, and he said, you know, I think you should, uh, you know, it would really, uh, you, you, you know, you're going to be losing, at your age, you will be losing calcium. So I think you should be taking calcium, and you should be exercising uh, to prevent osteoporosis. I said, oh, no, no, I don't, we don't have osteoporosis in my family. I have too much calcium. I have so much calcium. I have deposits in my breast. I have calcium all I have arthritis from calcium deposits you know I knew everything he said well you know medically even men lose calcium uh, have a menopause situation and and I and I said you know and they need to prevent osteoporosis and I said well what are you doing you know in a very snotty way and he said I try to work out uh, three to five times a week for at least half an hour and I uh, take calcium and I left very soon after that, and uh, and then I went home, and uh, now my sister and I are living very close to each other, and she goes to this half-hour workout place, you know, because she's like a jazzercise type person. Well, homecoming queen, what can I tell you? <laughs> but uh, actually, now that I'm her guardian because of illness, uh, things have really changed between us. <laughs> so she said, you know, they're, they're having a special deal. You can go for a whole month uh, without paying and see if you like it. And I knew she went every day, so I started going. And I had another spiritual experience. And God, there were all these women there my age, and we all go at the same time now. And we, oh God, we just gossip and totally solve all the world's problems while we're working out on these dumb machines. They have no mirrors in there, which I really like. And it's just for women, so it's it's a lot of fun. And I've been going now for, oh God, I don't know how long. But anyway. I mean, I love it, and I, my dog, you know, the dog I have now is too small really to walk at length. It's a seven-pound Pomeranian, and she she has asthma, and she can't really go more than a block. So, you know, I wasn't really walking the dog much, you know. It was like, by the time I, 
I had gotten up to 150, I guess, and uh, I was getting away from that 132 and a half pounds that I weighed when I was perfect. So, um, and I don't think, you know, I got a lot of problems. I, I know I got a lot of problems, but uh, and she she copped a couple of my lines with her readings. But I do want to say that uh, um, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real compulsive overeaters. This is from the big book, and. Um, uh, uh, the idea that somehow, someday, she will be able to control and enjoy her eating is the great obsession of every abnormal eater. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were compulsive overeaters. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. Well, that's a kind of unpleasant, isn't it? And um, that other thing she read, this is my other favorite passage, but smashing is very unpleasant and can be painful. And unfortunately, you know, I have a higher power that's very faithful to me. And if I don't listen, then I get to the smashing part. But at least I get to the smashing part and I, I'm still alive. But I have a tendency to ignore, you know, blinking red lights and little clanging bells. And, you know, it has to be like kaboom. Um something has to happen and um and i really never want to experience the bankruptcy the foreclosure the um the pitiful incomprehensible demoralization that drove me here which was not at the time about my eating because that denial was so firm and so strong um that's not what got me in here and i i wish i could say that i had um you know i was vulnerable I surrender all the time, and I bought. But you know what? I'm still the kind of person that thinks other people should really work this program because it makes my life easier to be in charge. You know, and um, but you know, I, I think I'm not stuck with that, I, and I have moments of real um, selflessness, and they come here. They don't come in church or you know, in a lot of the other venues that are out there for me to be selfless in. Uh, they mostly come here, and, and sometimes I get to expand them outside. Anyway, there's a great story in here. Now, there's the, the text, and then there's the stories, and this is Freedom from Bondage. And she read to you the one that says the only real freedom a human being like myself can ever know is doing what I ought to do because I want to do it. Don't ever tell me, you know, what to do, and I don't want to do it. That's, that's just I'm going to do the opposite thing. So this is what she says at the end of this story, and it's one of the women alcoholics, and she's very, very articulate. She said, the great experience that released me from this bondage of hatred and replaced it with love is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Overeaters Anonymous, and everything I need, I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Go figure. Thank you for listening. Is there anyone else that wanted a piece of paper for a question? Nay. Okay. Well, we've got a couple. Talk to the microphone so that the CD people, MP3 people listening. Okay. Barbara? Oh, yeah. That's lovely. Okay, here you go. You can you get that one. Okay, you can get that And then this. Okay, I'll read the question. 
and we'll move forward. Okay. Questions for both of us. What's your path, and can you kind of keep about 10 minutes on this for us? What's your path been like in terms of compulsion obsession? I have it. Um, in, in terms, and then also, also, what's your path been in terms of working the fourth and the tenth step? So I'll talk a little bit about that in the valve. You might want to pop up. Does that sound like a plan? Okay. Um, compulsion obsession. Well, I, you know, have any of you had a water balloon? Probably yes. Or you've seen them. And that um, in a water balloon, it's if you stick your finger in one side and push it, push and push the water balloon, it gets bigger on another part, right? Well, for me, that's what compulsion obsession is. As I get fit and squared away and, and doing okay with the food, you know, what's going to pop up? Is it going to be retail therapy? Is it going to be work? Because i got a few issues there, some work obsession. Is it going to be uh, relationships? Is it going to be... Um, you know, making my house look perfect. Obsession compulsion is my addiction. It's the addiction part. It's, you know, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. So when the food gets right-sized for me, because it's only one part of the three-legged stool, there's the other parts, the spiritual and the emotional part, that I have to attend to with my higher power, with a sponsor, and with the steps. So that's what I'll say about that. And as for the fourth and tenth step, um, with my sponsees and with my sponsor, I am a believer that um, doing a fourth step every couple years, you know, comprehensive, do it on fear, Barbara. Do it on uh, goals unattained. Why? Do uh, Fourth steps come in different fashions for me since I did the first couple of them. Um, because uh, I got to clean away a lot of wreckage with those first four steps. And I think of them as like compost piles. You know, if you don't turn the compost pile, it just gets all heated up in the center. And it doesn't really make good fertilizer. Um, and the minute you do turn it over, it stinks really bad. But as soon as the sun gets to it, it becomes beautiful fertilizer. You know, so you've got to keep turning it. And that's what the four steps have been for me in the past. They've changed a little bit. As I said, they're about fear, they're, and there's so many things I could do four steps on in fear or um, dreams not yet come true. What am, what am I doing to keep them from happening? And ten steps, that's like mowing the lawn every week. If you don't want to get talked about by the neighbors, you mow your lawn every week, right? Well, if I don't want to get talked about by my coworkers, family members, or other members in OA, I do a daily ten step. That sometimes is in writing, especially if it's a big resentment. And sometimes it's uh, sitting in my in, in bed, sitting up before I fall asleep. And what was good today? I always like to start off with what was good, even in a crap storm. I'm going to try and find something good. Do you want to throw something out in there, or do you want to jump to your next to the next question? I don't have my glasses. Oh, I'll answer that question. Okay, jump up. Yeah. I'm still I'm still Val, and um, I don't remember the question, but I have a really good answer for it. Uh, <laughs> About compulsion and obsession, uh, yes and yes, um, I have those. And, you know, um, you know, it's just gotten a lot simpler for me. One of the things that helped me in the beginning, and it helps me in the middle, and it helps me 
you know, I don't know when the end is coming, but it will be coming. I'm more aware of it now. I, I measure my life sort of in how much gardening time do I have left. How much longer will I be able to be on my knees in the dirt? Um, and uh, anyway, so, um, and I don't know how many of those years because my knees aren't very good. But anyway, you know, they're making all these replacement parts now. So I'm hoping that there will, parts will be ready for me when I'm ready for new knees. But uh, anyway, what's always good for the obsession and the compulsion is get involved with your meetings. You know, go to, you know, four, five, six meetings a week. Go get involved. Do service. You know, I got involved with, uh, because I'm kind of, well, I appear to be extroverted, but I'm really shy on the inside. And I'm so glad this is a small meeting because it makes me feel really extroverted. Uh, um, uh, so I got involved with special events. And I got really involved with getting great speakers, because everyone had already heard me a million times, uh, getting great speakers to come to my uh, intergroup and, and do recovery workshops, you know, so that people could, I used to say, and I love to say that, you know, the meetings are where the recovery is, I mean, where you get the information on how to work the program, and then you get the sponsor, you get the books, you get the what you need, and you have to keep going to meetings, and then... The weekend uh, extracurricular kind of things like this, this is so wonderful, um, they're not necessary, but they're, they're not essential, but they're fabulous kind of like, you know, uh, uh, like one of those, you know, a big goose to your program or a big thing that really excites you and gets you really motivated. So I got involved with that, and that was very helpful. And, you know, uh, you, know I might, you might not think you're this kind of a person, but... I am the kind of person that I need, uh, I really can't work in an office or in a, with other people. My experience has been that that has been sort of destructive or I, I don't know. But anyway, I feel kind of claustrophobic. So I like to be outside or I like a job that I can kind of move around on. And I have, um, I'm a landlady now at an apartment building and I um, have various things going on that do not involve an office. So that is God uh, really working in my life. And um where was I with? Oh, obsession. But I need a lot of, I need to get busy. And I need to work on things that are not about Val. I need to, you know, I need to get busy because I get into trouble. And I have a sex inventory that haunts me. And, and it explains how you can make your business partner your lover and your, have him on your credit card and have him die owing you $50,000. <laughs> anyway, no, don't start me. But I want to say that um, I promised my sponsor that I would not have sex without love. And so that pretty much ended my sex capades. And, um, and so I haven't had that in a long time, and, uh, except with myself. But, but uh, so... Um, I need to be busy because I have a lot of energy still and yet, and, and I need to put it somewhere. And I find, you know, OA, it's a good place. Okay, so I answer this question. Uh, uh, Barbara, thank you. Okay. Uh, as a teen in my home meeting, I am uncomfortable because my opinion carries more weight than some of the newer members. What can I do about this? Well, my sponsor would probably say, oh, and she's so mean, too. She'd probably say, shut up, Val, and just listen. And, uh, but I would never say that. I just, my idea is just talk louder and um, accept all praise and, um, um, and find a meeting where no one knows you. You know, make sure. One of the things you can do with your sponsees is take them out, out of town, you know, where nobody knows who you are or they are or knows who's the sponsor and who's the sponsee and get to a different place. Um, 
because uh, then you'll get some, you know, average. My sponsor says to me, you're just average, Val. You're an average compulsive overeater. You're, you just be one among many, will you? Stop trying to be the star. Thank you for listening. Um, about the having an opinion and being a middle uh, teenager in recovery, I uh, have... Yes, it's hard, and I have frequently now what I'm doing is I'll just, I not have anything to say at the business meeting, and I sit and listen, because usually my opinion will not affect someone's, uh, I like to think it's not an emergency situation where there's an obstructed airway, uh, arterial bleeding, or bones sticking through skin, so really no one needs my opinion, and um it's a good thing sometimes. And, well, what do you think, Barb? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of neutral today. Screaming in my head, what do you think of people? But you know what? It's not necessary because I can have a very powerful, um, I can have a very powerful um, personality uh, that takes over, and it's not necessary. And uh, that didn't used to be true about three years ago. I'd be very willing to mow you over. Um, can maintenance sometimes mean resting on our laurels? What a great question. For me, the answer is no. Maintenance is the maintenance of a daily spiritual condition. Maintenance of a daily spiritual condition lets me have food in my daily life without obsession. Maintenance of a fit spiritual condition allow me to have a normal body weight. Maintenance of a fit spiritual... So it's just like a car. i got to tell you. This is how I think about it. I drive my car, and what do they tell us? About every 5,000 miles, what are we supposed to do? Change the oil. And then about every 15,000 miles, you should have the air filter checked, and then check the fluids. And now they're getting to the point where, you know, it's 90,000 or 110,000 miles. you got to get the timing belt. you got to get that three to $600 one done. Okay? So we have to do... And we have to check the tires to make sure the tread's working. Why do we do those things to keep our car in fit condition to keep us safe? It's the same thing about me and my program. What am I? I know I get one day at a time. <laughs> what we, what we joke, I have these friends in AA. I live one day at a time, three meals ahead. And, um, you know, and they get that because they should probably come and visit us. But that's another story. And I have to maintain fit spiritual condition each day because each day I start my trip in my body, in my spirit, and with my emotions. And so i got to check the fluids. I've got to change the oil. I've got to look at the tire treads. And i got to make sure the alignment belt's going okay so that I don't uh, have a blow-up going 70 miles down the freeway and my car spins over. Because that's what happens when things come rocking out of my mouth and I've got a resentment that I have not addressed and remained in this spiritual condition. Would you like to try a different one? Yes. How about this one, Val? Do you think sharing your experience, strength, and hope at meetings can mean we don't show our vulnerability? Say that again. Do you think sharing our experience, strength, and hope at meetings can mean we don't show our vulnerability at meetings? Oh, I have something to say about that. Uh, Lately, I've been praying. Um, I've discovered a new way to pray, which is earnestly. And um, uh, I found that I had a miracle during Lent 
Well, I am not, you know, religious anymore the way I used to be, but, uh, and I, and it wasn't, I thought, I, I was sure that it was not about Lent. But I usually had, this is what I was eating. I was eating and not losing, I was working out 500 calories a day and I was not losing any weight. So I knew I was eating more than 500 calories. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I prayed and I said, help me. Because I don't really, I can't give up an ounce of food. But I was eating these five small tortillas, corn tortillas for dinner, and um, with my dinner. And um, so I decided I would cut back to three. And um, that night um, it came to me, uh, you know, not an audible voice, but because uh, I know that's crazy, but in a non-audible voice, uh, you don't need any tortillas. In fact, you're not even interested in tortillas anymore. I haven't had any, you know, well, I have had a couple of tortillas, but it's just, it's totally not because they were involved in a taco that I was eating, but, you know, I, anyway, but it was, I've lost, uh, oh, let's see, I'm down, I'm in the 130s, 136 now, so I'm down closer, much closer to my, my ideal weight, but, um, but it was really, if you only knew how fixated I was, you would know that, uh, that I was, um, on my, resting on my laurels. And thinking I could manage and control my food. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think sharing your experience, strength, and health has anything to do with whether or not you're resting on your laurels. What was that guy that was talking about how we, our just natural thing is to rest on our laurels. I mean, who doesn't want to get finished with this stuff and be done with all that, you know, work that we do? But like I say to my sponsees, you know, we're high maintenance, but we're fabulous. I would just say about the share experience, strength, and hope versus versus vulnerability. I don't think it's a versus. Um, again, my experiences, I have uh, been told and come to believe that I have a, a fairly strong personality that I've been told shows strength. And um, I've also learned in a way that vulnerability is not a weakness, but a strength. And that is when I can acknowledge the sorrows and the sadness and the scaredness, the young, the young girl scaredness in my life, that um, that's when my heart opens up and can accept more. Uh, and it's when I do that, uh, whether, you know, on whatever it is I'm talking about at a meeting, I do try and share about the solution as often as I can. You know, they say bring the message to the meeting and save the mess for your sponsor. But there's sometimes, you know, in a meeting where you just get to say, my heart is broken, um, I am beyond, I'm overwhelmed, and or, you know, if you're crying, and you can say, I, I need to be here, and that's the solution. I don't think it's a versus. I think it's both. Um, even in the worst of times for me, when I have felt forsaken, quite forsaken in my life, uh, of my higher power, uh, friends, family, the only hope I had was that I was sitting in that safety um, lifeboat of a meeting, and that was the solution. So I would share that along with the vulnerability. I think it, it's, it's challenging. You know, I'll, I'll tell newcomers or people that I'm sponsoring, Bring the message to the meeting because we have to have identification of hope for the newcomer coming in or for the person coming back from relapse. But tell your truth, too. And they look at me all quizzically. I say, you'll find your way. Just keep practicing. 
We have um, about 11 more minutes. I want to, was, it, would anyone like to come up and share? Really? Because you know there's so many of you. Would any of you like to? We could ask you some questions. <laughs> yeah, would you, like, would you like to come up? Sure, it's about being in recovery in your teen years. So I've been in recovery for 13 and a half and Val for 19 years. She's older um, and, and either wiser or crazier, you ask her, and, uh, or both. So we were just talking about being abstinent and being in recovery in our teen years. Okay? If not, I think I was just going to, I was going to just say two things that came to my mind. If that would be okay, because, the, well, actually, the little thing he said that we could, the second chance. And, um, you know, I think, I think what I know today is I'm seeking, I truly am seeking the spiritual solution that I heard about when I came in here, and I went, yeah, 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 give me the food plan. You know, and I'm seeking a spiritual solution when what I was saying, yeah, 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 I want the relationship. And, you know, and today I smile, I'm happy, I love to laugh, and I'm seeking a broader, fitter spiritual solution. And I've got sponsees now who say to me, Hey, why do you always talk about God? You're constantly talking about God and higher power. And, you know, and, and the response I have for them is like, Well, honey, if you did for me what God's done for me, I talk about you all the time, too. And, you know, they kind of go, oh, okay, I get it. Because it's a good reminder for me. The choices I have today are to be stark raving abstinent or cosmetically abstinent or to be spiritually abstinent. And that is a, that's with physical, the physicality of weight and food, emotionally and spiritually. And that's the gift that, that I've been given today. And uh, Val, have you been given that gift today? Pretty much. <laughs> All day today. Okay. Well, what we'll, it's, it's, we'll go ahead and break now. It's time. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and close this workshop. And Val is going to pick a prayer of her choice. And what will come down here is right in front of the mic and uh, circle up and uh, say a closing prayer. Send ourselves off to another spiritual workshop.